When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Podcast. I am your humble host, Brooks Austin, and I'm coming to you live from the always beautiful Atlanta, Georgia, and I got my boy Sarah Benninger on the other end. Sarah, how are we doing today, brother? Oh man, I am great. I'm feeling good. I know it's a it's it's a bit of a late recording here for us, but uh, I'm feeling good, man. I'm just feeling fired up. Football season is here. I know we've been kind of anticipating it step by step on these shows, but uh man, it's it's finally here and you can just you can just feel it. I, I love we've got new balding uh, you know, Baldy's breakdowns, we've got new highlight reels, we've got new material for the good morning football crew. It just feels football's in the air, man. You can feel it. Uh, Tate Martell's getting beat by some random guy out in Miami. Football is in the air, man. Yeah, uh fun fact, news just broke as we were starting the show. Tate Martell was a no-show at today's Miami football practice. Uh, the day of the announcement that I think is Jawan or Jalen Williams down there will start uh, for the Miami Hurricanes against Florida. And, yeah, uh, Tate Martell a no-show at practice. So running from competition again there, it seems, Not cool. uh, in the Martell fade. Not cool. You hate to see it. Uh, we'll Did you just start the show that. with a you hate to see it? No, Man. I, I, it sounded like you started the show with a you hate <laughs> to see it, tossing Tate Martell uh, softballs up there. Uh, but no, man, we had we had a great Thursday and Friday night uh, for us NFL fiends, man. I was texting Sarah Thursday night. I had uh, my iPhone up, my laptop up, and the TV up. I had three week one preseason football games going up and, of course, a notepad handy. Uh, with a fine ballpoint pen, taking all my you know great notes uh, scattered all over there, all over the notepad like chicken scratch. But now we had th- like what was it, thirteen games, Sarah, in two days there uh, mm-hmm. in preseason. Mm-hmm. So w- that's what we're mainly here to do tonight. We're going to get through all our preseason reactions. We'll give you some duds and studs, some guys that we felt like uh, really shot, uh, you know showed out in week one of preseason, and maybe some guys who you know were just maybe getting their feet wet a little bit, uh, maybe not understanding what all they got on, maybe catching up to the speed of play, however it is, maybe some guys that didn't necessarily have the best game won. And then we're going to eat some crow. We're going to tell you, you know, now we finally got our first look at some of these guys in an NFL uh, environment on an NFL football field. And we'll tell you, uh, bring up some cases where, you know, go into the draft process. These are rookies only from the 2019 draft we're going to talk about tonight here on this eat that crow section. Um, some guys that we may have missed the bill on, some guys that, you know, we got wrong. So that's what we got tonight scheduled up for you. But, of course, we're going to hit on the news first tonight and, Sarah, a story that you and I have been talking about pretty indefinitely mm. for about five or six <laughs> days now is the Antonio Brown saga, buddy. Uh, I'll let you start it out, kind of inform the people, catch them up to speed uh, with what we've all had go down. Well, I guess since, what, Friday the news broke uh, especially about his helmet, but we'd known about the frostbitten feet. Uh, but give give the folks kind of a timeline of where we're at, Sarah. Well, I mean, just when you think that that things couldn't get weirder, I mean, I, it's hard for me to even wrap my brain around where to start with this. So, of course, 
Antonio Brown was traded for the Pittsburgh from the Pittsburgh Steelers for a reason, okay, for probably many reasons. And I think that even some of them were valid based on circumstantial evidence. You know, he's kind of calling out Ben Roethlisberger and his leadership, and and that came after Big Ben kind of called him out for the routes that he was running or whatever. So it was kind of, you know, maybe you could kind of see where A.B. was coming from. And then he goes and he starts doing some crazy stuff. I mean, you know, he's dying his mustache blonde, which is not a, it's not a, I mean, that's a fashion decision, but I just don't know if I agree with it. Uh, kind of made him, kind of made him seem like he just didn't really care anymore. So the the Pittsburgh Steelers ship him off to Oakland. Everything's supposed to be all dreamy and everything. You know, he gets a new contract. Everything's just fine and dandy. Well, come to find out that he's on the non-football injury list to start training camp. And the non-football injury list, of course, was because of his feet, which are super disgusting and weird. And I'm a person that I legitimately hate feet. Like I, I don't, uh, it takes my wife quite a bit of convincing to get me to like, you know, if she wants a foot rub. She rarely ever asks for them. But even when she does ask for them, like she knows, like I just, I hate feet. I don't like to touch my own feet. I don't like to look at feet. Uh, the Hobbit feet, you know, that had the hair on the top. That's probably the most terrifying aspect of the Lord of the Rings trilogy is the Hobbit's feet to me. Uh, it's just, it, I don't like it. And so when I saw the picture of Antonio Brown's feet, I about had to go gag into a toilet because it was so <laughs> nasty. It reminded me of when I used to play basketball after uh, you know a, a long day of work, and I would come home and my feet would just have blisties up the wazoo. But man, yeah, AB. So he comes in with the feet, and then all of a sudden he's smuggling helmets into Raiders practice, spray painting his old <laughs> Steelers helmet. Just, I mean, can, imagine this scene. And and all the while he's he's smuggling his helmet into these practices and then he's looking at his bank account on his iPad and and looking at his Instagram during team meetings and and like practice film sessions this guy man i mean he used to have a reputation as being one of the best practice players in the league and i think even John Gruden is the one who pointed that out he's like he's one of the best practice players in the NFL so this is just a bizarre bizarre chain of events and pardon me if you've already got all the details and you're just looking for you know some some funny reaction or whatever i hope i gave you a little combo of both there but man i i just for me, it's hard to imagine the Raiders come away from this feeling any bit pleased, especially considering the kind of guy we know John Gruden to be based on his years and years in TV now. Uh, we know that John Gruden highly values hard work. He he highly values team players, players with the team mentality. He calls them the grinders, or he called them that on the Monday Night Football, you know, and it was it was always those guys who were doing the little things right, and it seems like Antonio Brown is not only doing the little things wrong, he's he's getting the big picture. Uh, he, he's kind of starting to affect the big picture for the Oakland Raiders. So problems all around, man. It's it's ugly to see. But you know, I, I can't say I can't say our catchphrase until the end of the show. But man, you just really don't like to see it. Yeah, you don't like to see it at all. And I think you know the hard knocks kind of played up the feet thing. You know the the frostbite on the feet from the cryotherapy issue, which apparently I'm led to believe he was in a foreign country and uh, either didn't read the signs or was unable to read the signs that footwear was required in the cryotherapy lab, which is why he ended up getting uh, that frostbite on his feet. And just a little fact here from, you know, I've never had frostbite anywhere on my body. Being from the south, I think I've seen snow, you know, I can count it on two hands basically down here. But um, from a, a well-known source here, Justin Gatlin, I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, he was an American sprinter. He's ran in the Olympics for the USA national team, uh, you know, a handful of times during the Olympic Games. Uh, he had frostbite on his feet, and he claims that it's a four- to six-month recovery, uh, and that's a similar Ooh. type of athlete, right, a guy who's trying to be explosive and quick-twitched um, with his muscle movements there. Um, but as far as Antonio Brown, they let up the feet thing, but we didn't hear anything about this helmet issue, which from what, what the reports were coming out Friday, that's apparently the main issue and as to why he's not on uh, the practice field and whatnot. And this is a thing, there's a list of 31 players in the NFL that are all using uh, older helmets that, uh, you know, the newest model of that helmet that they're wearing hasn't, you know, they haven't made a new one, Shut hasn't, since, you know, 10 years ago, 2009, <laughs> uh, when most of these guys started coming into the league. So 
the NFL put a rule into place five years ago, Sarah, that said by, you know, 2019, the start of the 2019 football season, we will have a list of football helmets that you have to have uh, one of these basically on the list of approved helmets to wear uh, as part of their concussion protocols, part of the collective bargaining agreement. These are all legal documents that are well uh, well in advance made. And they, again, these guys have had five years notice that this was going to happen. Guys like Tom Brady, guys like Aaron Rodgers, yes, Antonio Brown, guys like Joe Staley out there with the San Francisco 49ers. These are all guys who wear older type shut air football mm-hmm. helmets that are all now going to have to change. So I say all that. Um, to just kind of say, this is the third time Antonio Brown's threatened retirement um, for something that he doesn't like. He threatened retirement to get out of Pittsburgh. They tried to send him to Buffalo. He threatened retirement that if he got sent to Buffalo, he wouldn't play. And now he's, you know, made empty threats, basically, that he threatened retirement uh, if he's not able to wear his football helmet. Sarah, they released the news before the show um, that he actually did lose uh, his settlement case there with the NFL. So he is going to have to right, wear a new right. helmet, um, which kind of brings us to our last question, and we'll, and we'll put the A-B a- stuff to bed for the night. Um, I mean, do you, think, do you think anyone calls his bluff, or do you think he ends up showing up uh, with a new Revo Speed helmet at camp? What, what are we going to see? I would, uh, I would think that he's going to do that based on the fact that I just don't know that he's going to give up that kind of cash. I mean, we know this guy's all about guaranteed. the Benjamins. Yep. He's all about the Benjamins, so I think when it comes time, he's going to show up. But, I mean, kudos to Antonio Brown and and many other NFL players lately for finding creative and really unlikable ways to get out of training camp. I mean, kudos (laughs) to these guys. They just really – they've really stopped caring about – what people think and they're just getting they're getting to not go to training camp they're getting their guaranteed cash by you know signing these new contracts basically almost feels like year to year with guys like Antonio Brown and and a few others it's a select few that have this kind of power it seems like but man they're finding creative ways to get out of training camp look at Ezekiel Elliott we touched on him last episode and so I mean they're they're finding ways and they're doing it so they don't have to go to training camp and their, their teams are so desperate to have them that they'll welcome them back and they'll put them out on the field. So they kind of hold the leverage there. But it's it's just a bummer, man. It's it's unfortunate as a fan to see, especially, you know, if you're a Raiders fan who was excited about bringing in Antonio Brown and hoping that the fresh start would really change his approach and mentality. And now you're getting really the worst of Antonio Brown. You're, you're getting what is what has become the typical... Raiders feel you know you think you're changing a culture you think John Gruden has has the ability to change this culture around well now now everyone's looking at Antonio Brown and they're saying typical Raider you know and that's not the that's not the culture that Raiders fans believe their legacy their team to be you know they they have a very proud rich history of very high quality high integrity high character players and they also have a very long history of guys who just you know, they they sort of float into the Bermuda Triangle when they get there, you know, like Randy Moss and things like that. So, I mean, it's a shame. It's really a shame for Raiders fans, but uh, it, even worse for Antonio Brown. It, this is this has really put a black eye on his legacy as far as just one of the all-time greats. I mean, in, in my opinion, I don't know if you agree with that or not, but I just think it really really takes it down a notch for me. I mean, I've never, I've always separated the art from the artist um, when it comes to determining all-time greats. So if I'm not going to trash T.O. for all the locker room stuff and antics and, and sit-ups in the driveway uh, and all that stuff, if I'm not going to, you know, get on to Randy Moss for mooning fans uh, in Green Bay and all that and, and inside the Minnesota Dome, I, I'm not going to, you know, fault A.B. for having a blonde mustache and forcing his way out of Pittsburgh. But um, if you thought, you know, picturing Antonio Brown in the locker room with a, a, a paintbrush and some sparkle silver paint and a black Sharpie creating his own Oakland Raiders <laughs> helmet was interesting and compelling, Sarah, man, you texted me today, and you were very adamant we had to talk about this because I can't just I just can't wait to get your hot takes about it. But we had an undrafted NFL kicker who has yet to make a regular season field goal, traded for a fifth-round pick today, Sarah. Um, And we'll open up the floor to you because that is the least interesting bit of this story that I ran down. This is a very very interesting story about this Vedvik kid 
from Baltimore. Tell me about, tell me what you got there. Tell the folks what happened today. Yeah, honestly, you just don't see it a ton. I mean, I think you could probably count on two, maybe three hands, how many times specialists like this are traded in the NFL for like actual draft compensation, not like, well, a conditional seventh round pick. I mean, this is, this is a fifth round pick we're talking about here. So, so the Baltimore Ravens, they don't need any backup kick. I mean, they don't need a backup here. They've got Justin Tucker, and uh, they've done this before, actually. They had Will Lutz. They traded him to the Saints, I believe. Um, and uh, now they've got this Kare. I don't even know how to pronounce that appropriately, so I apologize. But Kare Vedvik, uh, the first the first rookie to be traded from his class, which is kind of cool. But uh, apparently this guy not only kicks field goals, he punts. And what the Vikings are doing is something that I've been screaming for internally. I haven't really voiced it too much. I know I've put it out there maybe a time or two. But think about this. You're you putting together a 53-man roster. Is it worth a fifth-round pick to you to be able to have only one spot dedicated to both the kicker and punter positions? I think that's an interesting proposition and a fun way to look at it because if this guy... Now, forget the Vikings. They've had some issues with the kicking position for a, a multiple of years now. I mean, go, going back to Blair Walsh, they tried out Dan Bailey last year, and we'll see if he works out again this year. But, I mean, if you think about having a guy who could potentially lock down your kicker and punter positions, that's very intriguing to me. I know uh, Matt Bosher once upon a time did that for the Miami Hurricanes, and I thought he might do it at the NFL level, but we haven't seen that. Um, obviously the Falcons had a pretty darn good one in Matt Bryant for many years, but I think that what's interesting about this is that the Vikings could be setting a little bit of a precedent here, or maybe setting the tone. If you get a guy who can take both of those spots, that leaves you 52 spots on your roster instead of 51 to, to really assemble a team to assemble the best 53 possible. And I think that it'd be interesting to find out if you could get a guy who could do punts, you know, field goals, kickoffs, all that good stuff. The The only issue is, is who holds for your field goals. And what's really fascinating about this story is that the Vikings have been using this, uh, this unheralded, uh, unknown wide receiver who's kind of emerging as their new number three. His name's Chad Beebe. And he's been holding for their field goals, for their place kickers. And so they've really been preparing for this moment. And uh, yeah, just, just, uh, soak that in for a second there but what the vikings are doing i think the rest of the league is going to be watching to find out if they can make this happen and they're going to be trying to start scouting players who can do this and it's a completely different specialty kicking field goals punting i'm not a special teams maestro by any means but i know for a fact that these guys are like you said if you're talking about artists i mean these guys do very hard jobs they're i mean they're pressure filled jobs you've got very different things that you're trying to do in all three of a roles you know all three roles for a kicker kickoffs field goals and punting those are all very very different skills but if you could find a guy that can do all three man that's a that's an asset to your team and if it helps you keep another player who can help your 53 man roster over the course of the year even better so i think it's fun yeah, and a thankless job there in the NFL as well. If you make your kicks, you just did your job. You you know you did what you were expected to do. If you miss, you're a total failure, right? It's not like we go out there with offensive linemen and expect them at the bare minimum uh, to make the block. Um, you know, sometimes obviously they miss it, but when they do, sometimes there's other people to help them out. And, uh, you know, maybe the quarterback can evade the pass rusher. There is no, uh, there's a guy standing near the field goal that might be able to save the kicker by pushing the ball in just a little bit further. Um, you're, you're a sole, uh, proprietorship out there, if you will. You're a, a single man company out there. You, Mm -hmm. you, you, you win and you lose on your own, uh, results there but my the interesting thing I found about this Vedvik story Sarah uh, you know he was an undrafted rookie in last year's class uh, oh he that's spent right the 2018 he spent the 2018 season rehabbing from an off the field injury um, do you know what that off the field injury was Sarah hit me he was severely beaten after going out to the bars with a group of teammates uh, at some point was separated from that group of teammates there in Baltimore. Uh, when officials woke him up, he had no idea where he was or how he ended up there, uh, spent a couple of days in the hospital and the rest of the season on the IR. Um, wow. So a pretty rough start 
to an NFL career there for Vedvik. Um, but, you know, spent the year getting healthy. And then the other night, you know, went four for four on field goals, including a 55-yarder. And like you said, man, he can punt. He had two 50-yard punts the other night. So I'm interested to see, like you are, whether or not Minnesota can, you know, make this a trend. But, you know, I figured out I figured out a long time ago if something like this could be done, if there was a shortcut to be taken, a guy like Nick Saban would have done it at the college level a long time ago. For some reason, uh, in a kicker's brain, I don't know if there's a way for them to successfully do both at an elite level. I don't know. Kickers are weird people. I've met a lot of them uh, in my time. They are <laughs> definitely not football players. They are definitely not football players. They are a complete separate, uh, you know, individual from that group of people, especially in a uh, football is a sport where you kind of have your clicks, man. Your position group is your your group. So kickers hang out with holders, and, they, and holders hang out with long snappers, and that's about it. That's, a, that's the trio you see running around practice together. Uh, and those are their buddies. But let's get into our studs and duds category, Sarah. Uh, we'll start with you, man. Give me a guy you watched last week or, you know, maybe a Bronco that you've seen for two weeks now <laughs> where you just look at them and after, you know, after their first game in the NFL in a preseason environment, you're like, all right, this guy's going to be a stud. Give it to me. Who's your one guy? Gosh, you know what? I'm going to delegate the Broncos talk to you tonight, actually. I'm going to talk about a Miami Dolphins wide receiver who's absolutely lighting it up. I saw a tweet about uh, the undrafted rookie free agent Preston Williams out of Colorado State. Who's make, he's made such an impression at Dolphins training camp that one of their beat reporters, I believe it was Cameron Wolf, or I, I, guess, I guess I can't remember exactly who it was, but uh, one of their beat reporters down there in South Beach said this about Preston Williams. It's gone from a discussion about him making the roster to should he start. And I think there's no better example of that than the argument that he made in, in their first preseason game there for the Dolphins. Four catches, 97 yards, uh, just absolutely lighting it up. He catches everything. I actually wrote an article about him in, in preparation for the 2019 NFL draft, scouting him and looking at him. I felt like watching uh, just a few of his games, I felt like watching him, he looked like he has wide receiver one traits. But obviously, like you mentioned in our off-the-record um, off part of the show, that he has had some off-field issues that got him kicked out of Tennessee, and then of course a lot of a lot of guys that get kicked out of the SEC seem to end up, you know, doing stuff elsewhere because they're such phenomenal athletes. You know, you could be a guy who catches twelve passes for the Volunteers and then go to a place like Colorado State and literally lead the nation in in receiving yards or whatever it was Preston Williams had. But uh, man, he he showed wide receiver one traits. And his off-field stuff is no joke. I mean, if that's when that stuff comes to light, let's be real about it. Um, when that stuff comes to light, people are going to really question his story. But I think the number one stud offensively, in my opinion, uh, at the skill spots has been Preston Williams. Whether it's training camp or preseason week one, the dude is killing it. And, and he deserves some special recognition. I love what I've seen there. Yes, I'm not trying to rain on the parade here. Um, but, you know, the NFL enacted that uh, NFL combine rule about, you know, if you're related, you have anything in your past relative to domestic violence, uh, you're not invited to the combine. And we'll just leave it at this. Preston Williams was not invited to the combine. Um, hence, hence probably the reason why he did go undrafted, like you mentioned there, Sarah. But, yeah, man, that one-handed catch down the sideline um, was absolutely ridiculous. If you guys haven't seen it um, by now, you need to just go type in Preston Williams – uh, one-handed catch on Twitter and see what pops up. All right, I'll start with my first dud. And, you know, in typical Brooks Austin fashion here on the NFL Mocks podcast, uh, both of my studs will be offensive linemen. Um, sorry, you can just sit through it. Or, you know, there's that magical fast-forward 30-second button, and uh, you can hit that. <laughs> but my first guy here has got, has got to be Andre Dillard, man. I've been, you know, singing this guy's praises since I first turned on his tape there at Washington State back in February, man. And I can already, um, you know, he's got me, uh, you know, dude has one of the prettiest pass sets there is. I think we've, we've talked about that plenty here on the NFL Mox podcast. There's going to be questions about his ability to block there in the run game. Um, but, you know, half the time, that you know what the great thing about playing tackle is, for those of you who don't know, half the time you're just an insurance blocker on the backside of a run play. Uh, you know, you do this. You do this little thing called a backside hinge, 
and you pretty much just protect B-gap. That's about it, baby. Um, so only about a half of the rushing snaps, that's about a quarter of the game snaps if you are a traditional 50 pass, 50% pass, 50% run offense. You know, that's easy mm-hmm. math right there. Um, 75% of the time, he's going to be an elite damn tackle. And the other 25% of the time, he'll just have to learn and figure it out. But he's got a year, man. He's pretty much got a year here where he's going to be sitting behind Jason Peters. But we got to see his talents fully on display Thursday night against the Tennessee Titans. Um, I will say this, man. Being in the NFC East there, I can already see Demarcus Lawrence putting him on his head, uh, you know, at <laughs> least maybe once or twice a game uh, with a speed to bull. Okay, it's going to happen. Um, he's, gonna, he's still young, Andre Dillard is. He's still a little light in the rear end there, um, and he's going to have to work on stopping a bull rush. That's the last fundamental part of his pass set game. If you beat him, you're going to have to beat him on a bull rush because you're damn sure not running around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got some of the sweeter feet uh, you'll see from an offensive tackle. So that is a stud of mine, even though, you know, the conventional fans probably going to have to wait a little while uh, to see the, you know, the flower bear fruit or whatever the saying yeah. is. But who's your second guy, Sarah? Gosh, imagine being the Houston Texans and having Andre Dillard to protect oh. Deshaun Watson. Couldn't be me. Couldn't be me. You uh, know, sidetrack here. I, I flipped that Texans game on. Do you know what they're doing with Titus Howard, their first-round draft pick at offensive tackle? Uh, does it involve the words left, left guard. and guard? <laughs> yeah, I yeah, saw that. He's I, I saw that. left guard. Isn't they that a shame? drafted a kid out of a deep. Yeah, I know. They drafted a kid out of an HBCU, which might as well. No shout out. No, you know, no shame on HBCUs, but that might as well be D1 AA football with an occasional game against Auburn University. Um, out of Alabama State there, Titus Howard, who was a tight end coming out of high school, Sayre, um, did not have a lot of offensive line experience, was you know comfortable playing right tackle, a spot they still need down there in Houston. And, yes, yeah, so, you know, first experience as an NFL offensive lineman is immediately bumped into guard, which I don't know what that says about their first-round draft pick, but to me it says they already identified a miss. Yeah, I, I – Who's their GM? Oh, wait. <laughs> I yeah. mean, seriously. Yeah. I mean, the, the fruits of that dysfunction in the front office are really, they're really rotten and they really stink. Um, but the number two player for me, I think on the studs, and I'm going to go to the defensive side of the ball, gave some love to Preston Williams on the offensive side. And this is a guy that you talked about as a player you really liked coming out. Uh, this year, I believe, uh, unless correct me if I'm wrong about that, but Cleveland Browns linebacker Mac Wilson, a fifth round pick, really mm-hmm. one of the best value picks in this year's draft. I know a lot of people kind of uh, kind of overdid it a little bit with their love on Mac Wilson, thinking he was going to be a, a first round pick when that's already tough for off ball linebackers to do in the first place. But um, he he really showed out for Cleveland. I mean. If you're looking at Pro Football Focus right now, which I am, he has the highest defensive grade through one game of any player on his side of the ball with no minimum of snaps. And he played 36 total snaps. So he played a pretty decent amount of snaps. And let me hit you with some facts and some stats about my man, Mac Wilson, right here. He First of all, he picked off two passes, which is incredible and, and really lends to the narrative that he excelled off the ball and in coverage as a linebacker at Alabama, something that I think gets underrated in his game. Uh, and I think, you know, three tackles, two stops in the run game. And, and what pro football focus means when they say a stop is it's a basically a tackle for either a loss or no gain. Uh, it constitutes a failure for the offensive side of the ball. So that's what that means. He allowed one catch in coverage for six yards, only four yards after the catch. Uh, and again, the two interceptions highlighting his night. And I believe Greedy Williams had an interception as well. If you are the Cleveland Browns right now, you are riding absolutely on cloud nine. And not only that, but we have to – I'll save this for later. I'll save that part for later. But if you're a Cleveland Browns fan, you've got to be just tickled – beyond belief to have Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham with Jarvis Landry coming back in the fold and and all these pieces offensively but now you've got these rookies who are showing out and making plays in in preseason play and now you're thinking wow we just might have the depth needed 
to be able to make a run at this thing. I mean, the the Cleveland Browns feel like the early stages of those Oklahoma City Thunder teams for you basketball fans when they had uh, KD, Russell, Harden, Ibaka in his prime. I mean, it feels like that that team should have been a dynasty. So we'll see if the Cleveland Browns, with one of the better, more talented teams on paper, and it seems like nothing can go wrong for this team. Uh, Mac Wilson putting on a show in preseason play, two picks, man, I... I love that, and I think it's great for the Browns because they desperately needed some help at that inside linebacker spot. Hey, let me, Serge, let me ask you, or Sarah, let me ask Serge. you. Serge. How, how, how old do you think Serge Ibaka is? I think Serge Ibaka at this point, I would guess he's probably a little bit older than me, so I'll say like 33. He is 29 years Dang, old. Dang, dude, he's my age, bro. I thought I, I, thought I had no, I mean. Dang it. You know, he is from the Repub- Republic of the Congo. I'm not I'm not here to say they're falsifying birth records, but ain't no way Serge Ibaka is 29 years old. That is a grown, grown man. That's crazy. And he has been, I guess, since he was 14. Um, but my uh, number two guy I got to take here, and you hit on it earlier, it's the Broncos' love, uh, and, and it's Dalton Reisner, man. Look, it's not an episode of the NFL Mox podcast. If I'm not pubbing up my boy Dalton Reisner, who, by the way, just released his second – uh, children's book, so you guys should go check that out. Um, if I got any elementary school teachers that need some good class material for their kids, Dalton Reisner, an aspiring young author as well as a good football player. Sarah, you know better than I did, but I think I saw him play maybe 12 snaps in Thursday's game. Uh, he got all the reps with the ones <laughs> and the ones only there with Joe Flacco. Um, in those, you know, let's call them 12 to 13 reps, I saw at least four to five knockdowns, just throwing people all around the football field, um, including one block that completely sprung uh, Royce Freeman there on his big first quarter run. Mm-hmm. I think we're looking – I really do – I don't think this is an overreach or anything right here, and I'm not just saying that because, uh, you know, me and Dalton uh, have, you know, I wouldn't say come to be friends, but, you know, I got his phone number if that means anything. But, anyways, um, I think we're looking at a 10- to 12-year career at guard. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do, and a really solid one. Um, so that would be my second guy. Uh, and we already got your second because you went defense. Let's get into some honorable mentions, some guys we didn't really uh, mention here. Uh, I didn't spend time on Kyler Murray here uh, in this segment, but I think his name's worth mentioning just because you know how, uh, you know, bullish I am on Kyler Murray. Love it. I thought he looked great and real real calm behind an offensive lineman. That's, uh, an offensive line that's pretty shaky. Who's another guy that stood out to you uh, that's worth just a quick mention? Yeah, I think uh, on the offensive side of the ball, you know, the New England Patriots are desperate for help at wide receiver. And I think that it looks like from game reps, it looks like they've got a couple of really good ones in Nikhil Harry, obviously their first round pick going to be hedging a lot of bets on him this year with Edelman's age and the injuries at the at the receiver position and the uncertainty with Josh Gordon. So nice to see him get a couple of catches and make a couple of big plays for them. But Jacoby Myers, I mean, my goodness, the guy has been lights out all offseason from all the the Patriots and Boston media that I have on my Twitter page. They keep talking about this guy, Jacoby Myers, Jacoby Myers, Jacoby Myers, every single day. And I think the dude's wearing number 69 at training camp, which is hilarious to me. I I love that Bill Belichick does little things like that. Those little things are just funny, you know. There, it's not that he's. It's not funny necessarily that he's wearing sixty nine. Although it is, like you mentioned, nice. Uh, it, that is funny, but at the same time, it looks like they do that for all the rookies in camp. Like Stidham was wearing, uh, I think it was fifty. Nikhil Harry had fifty something or sixty something. It's just kind of interesting quirk that the Patriots have. But uh, I, I think that those two guys obviously did a really good job along with. Um, my boy Stidham from Auburn, who could be the future QB of the Patriots. You never know. And then a friend of the NFL Mocks uh, website as a whole, a guy who did a really fun, insightful interview with us back before the draft, Natrez Patrick. I know you'll know that name from Georgia. My dude had four tackles, and all four of them were, um, according to Pro Football Focus, they were stops. So those were four plays at or behind the line of scrimmage for our boy Natrez Patrick, uh, who balled out for the L.A. Chargers, which is cool to see. Is he playing for the Chargers or the Rams? I don't know. 
uh, the Rams. He's the playing Rams. for the Rams. Yep. So, my goodness, man, that's cool. I, I think that uh, I think it's cool to see him being productive. Obviously, a little bit of box score scouting on my part there but I just uh, saw his name pop up and I thought let's give the guy some love I mean he went undrafted had a rough go of it at uh you know at um the kind of the middle or beginning part of his career there at Georgia with some stuff off the field and now he's now he's balling out for the LA Rams and Wade Phillips defense yeah Natrez Patrick the local Mays high school product uh, trivia question for the night, Sayer. Georgia high school football trivia question for you. Mays High School, what other NFL superstar uh, graduated from Mays High School? Two of them. Oh, don't tell me. Uh, don't tell me. I don't know. Tell me. Cam Newton and Pac-Man Jones. Both, wow. Uh, product of Mays High School here in Atlanta. Both top um, ten so picks. So there you go. Yeah, both top ten picks. Uh, now, let's get into, uh, you know, this is kind of a, a sore subject here. We don't really want to call these guys duds yet, but it rhymes with studs. And if you guys haven't figured it out yet, I like corny rhymes like duds and studs. So um, we're not here to call these guys duds yet. They're not going to flop. But maybe some guys, there, uh, one or two of them that you thought might have had a tough night the other night. Uh, I'll start off uh, with Daryl Henderson, the running back out of Memphis, now playing for the Los Angeles Rams as well. Uh, he got – Kind of off to a rough start the other night. He had uh, six rushing attempts and amounted just 13 yards uh, behind that secondary offensive line against the Oakland Raiders. Mm. So uh, a guy in college, a guy in college who was a real boomer bust type of product, uh, you know, had a lot of these types of games where you know you might see six rushing attempts for 13 yards and then boom, all of a sudden he breaks a 75 yarder because uh, there's a hole as wide as you know, my truck to drive through. So hmm. now he does have breakaway speed. He will, he will take it to the house. Um, but just the, maybe, maybe the lateral quickness is an issue or maybe just the, the, the vision in general, finding the correct holes. Uh, we'll see. He's, you know, again, just getting his feet wet in the NFL. Uh, they're in a, in a really good offensive system. And we're, we're believing with the, you know, the, the pitch count, if you will, that Todd Gurley's going to be on that uh, Daryl Henderson's definitely going to get some touches. So we'll see what it ends up coming to, but I thought he had a pretty rough night the other night, Sarah. One guy for you because we're running a little time uh, constraint here, uh, and then we'll get into some eat some crow. Yeah, it's uh, like you said, it's tough to just pick guys for this because you, you hate to knock on guys, but I think one guy that I have been kind of down on for sure is the tight end second-round pick for the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, and that would be Drew Sample. And he had a drop pass, and it sounded like from, from the Bengals guys that I follow, it sounded like he kind of had a rough game in general. And that's not good for a guy who nobody thought was going to be a second-round pick. The Bengals took him. I don't think anyone would have taken him until probably the fifth round maybe. So and that's just my opinion. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I – I don't want to wish ill on the guy, I don't, and I'm not trying to push a narrative that I had him rated as some fifth round, you know, late round guy. But I mean, you draft a guy that high, the expectations change, and you've got to be a second round pick now, all of a sudden. And it kind of reminds me of like a back in 2009, the Denver Broncos drafted this guy Richard Quinn out of North Carolina, who in the second round, and he yeah. uh, he was just a been, right? well, he might as well have been. He, um, but you're thinking of Robert Quinn, he. Uh, yeah, Richard wow. Quinn, no relation, but uh, yeah, Richard Quinn was just a, a huge, massive bust for the Denver Broncos. He never really played any sort of role, and uh, he was considered like this elite blocking tight end. But I mean, you just—I don't know. I—I don't—I don't like that pick for the Bengals, and I—I I don't think it's fair to put that kind of pressure on Sample. But of course, he has a rough game, and now it's the second round pick is having a tough go of it, and it's not the you know the day three pick is kind of struggling. So expectations high, not a very good delivery on the first go round for Drew Sample. Yeah, I heard a guy talking about it earlier today, uh, specifically about Corey Davis. Remember, Corey Davis was the fifth overall draft pick in his mm-hmm. draft class. And I don't think it. I don't think it'll. He'll never amount to that draft status, um, just because it's almost impossible to do so unless you're, you know, a Hall of Fame or historic type of receiver. To live up to the number five overall spot is extremely tough. 
Uh, and just like you're talking about there with Drew Sample, nobody saw him as a second-round pick except for the Cincinnati Bengals. So mm-hmm. when you draft, like you said, when you draft a guy that high, the expectations come with it. All right, time to eat some crow, man. Time to let the folks know that uh, we don't necessarily always know what we're talking about. Uh, we're going to let you know where we felt like we're wrong automatically uh, here in week one. All it took was a couple of snaps from a couple of guys uh, to show us whether or not we were right or wrong, uh, especially with my first guy, Sarah. And I'm going to eat some crow right on top of Rashawn Gary right quick. Dude looked like he played with a rocket up his butt all night the other night. <laughs> and uh, it was a point of it was a real point of concern for me, Sarah. I don't know about you. Uh, there in Michigan, and maybe it was uh, a little bit due to the fact that you're playing on the other side of Chase Winovich, so when your effort level's not insane comparative to his, uh, like it was there for Winovich, maybe you do tend to look a little bit lazy on film, but effort was a main point of concern for me for Rashawn Gary coming out of college, and that's not at all what we saw the other night. He's wearing Mm -hmm. 52 uh, as opposed to his three, so maybe having a bigger number on him makes him look thinner. I don't know. Maybe he's on a bigger football field with bigger football players. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Maybe he just looks quicker. But um, if he continues to do so, do this and play with his hair on fire in real games, uh, games where he'll play more than 20 or so snaps like he did the other night, uh, I think good things are to come for Rashawn Gary. Showed an extreme elite first, uh, first step, man. It's something that's very, very important for edge rushers. Um, and, they, they, you know, they rumored they were going to play him at outside linebacker, but I saw him constantly on the end of the line of scrimmage. So I'm good to see those things there in Green Bay for Rashawn Gary. So I'm willing to eat some crow there. Sarah, who are you willing to eat some crow on? I think that I've, I've never really been super, super critical of this guy, and that's kind of just my nature of evaluating guys. I'm always looking for positives and everything. I'm always looking for ways that these guys can make it out. Soft. I'm pretty soft on it, yeah. I'm not. I'm not hypercritical, but one 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 pick and player that I've been particularly critical of since it happened is the Daniel Jones pick for the New York Giants, and obviously, the dysfunction of the Giants is has been close to matching that of the Houston Texans, in my opinion. And I don't think the Giants had the worst offseason in the NFL, like I believe the Houston Texans did, but I believe the Giants. They did a lot of things this offseason that that don't set right with their fans. You know, you trade your your household name player in Odell Beckham Jr. away, and you draft Daniel Jones and Dexter Lawrence with you know your two first round picks. You don't get rid of Eli Manning, so there's no like clear cut the future is now type of thing. So bringing in Daniel Jones, who come out of Duke with maybe. 35 40 touchdown passes I don't even know I don't have the stats right in front of me but I mean three years of work I know it was 28 last season it wasn't many it wasn't it wasn't many compared to some of these guys coming out in recent years you know and and not all that's on Daniel Jones but I mean you pick a guy sixth overall you kind of expect elite everything um he barely scratched the surface on that that 60 percent completion percentage minimum threshold but man he came out against the New York Jets in their preseason game and boy was he making some throws that look like regular season ready starting caliber ready throws and I I understand it wasn't against the Jets you know Jamal Adams Quinn and Williams Leonard Williams uh you know all those guys CJ Mosley unit but at the same time you're you're evaluating these guys and whether or not they can hit the throws in the windows can he hit the can he read zone coverage and hit the ball over over these defenders that are bearing down? Can he fit the ball into tight spaces? Can he have right correct timing? Does do his feet look good? Um, is he finding the right reads? All of those things were in full form for Daniel Jones. He threw five passes. He completed all five for sixty-seven yards and one of the best if I can say this, one of the best preseason touchdowns I've ever seen on a touchdown throw to Benny Fowler that I'm sitting here hoping and wishing to myself, man, if only Benny Fowler could have made catches like that in Denver, we could have beat the Chiefs a couple of times. But, you know, alas, it it didn't happen. But now Daniel Jones dropping dimes to Benny Fowler in the corner of the end zone. One of, one of the best throws that I've seen I mean, it, it was it was great. It was great. If you're a Giants fan, you should be highly encouraged by what you saw and hoping beyond all hope that Daniel Jones can can replicate and duplicate that performance. It was outstanding work from him. Love it. I absolutely loved it, what he did. 
man, if you're gonna if you're gonna throw out hot takes like best preseason throw ever, you gotta give me a warning, man. I gotta hold on to my chair. <laughs> you need the horn. Yeah, need the horn or something. I wasn't even prepared for that at all. You blew my socks off. All right, sir, you hate to see it. I'll let you go first because I, I highly doubt you got mine. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, you do hate to see it. And and it goes back it goes back to the the whole Antonio Brown thing. You, you, I think if you're if you're an Oakland Raiders fan, you've got to be beside yourself. And even me, and I'll admit, I am a Denver Broncos fan. I love the Denver Broncos. I love everything about it. Uh, and I love beating the Raiders more than almost any team in the NFL. However, I was a proponent greatly, strongly, if, if you have the opportunity, trade for Antonio Brown. Find, the, find whatever resources you need. Set aside the cap space. Give him the draft capital. Whatever it is, trade for Antonio Brown because it can't possibly get worse. And you hate to see it. It's gotten way worse. I can't imagine, I'm, I'm, and I've, I may be repeating myself, I may sound like a broken record, but I can't imagine being a Raiders fan right now, having this entire freak show on display for all to see uh, with hard knocks going on, and now now you've got all these different things, the appeal about the helmet, it's just, you hate to see it, man, you really do, and uh, for me, I almost kind of love to see it, I, I laugh I laughed hysterically when I read the the headline about the helmet, and uh, so I kind of love to see it. I would love to see him show up to practice wearing like an old school leather helmet. Hopefully, the Raiders can find a way to move past this, but uh, wouldn't that be funny? Oh my gosh! But yeah, you hate to see it. I still can't get over him painting his own helmet. That's amazing. That's, I know. I know he probably. I know he sends it off for refurbishment every year. But there's no way they. I mean, he had. He had to have taken that someone to get it painted. And the reports are that he keeps trying to sneak it past the trainers, like he'll just run out to the practice field. But it's like, hey man, you still got wet paint on your helmet. Like you still got drips on it. That's definitely not professionally made. Like it's so obvious, and it's just awkward and hilarious at the same time. Um, but yeah, for you, I mean, you can act like you hate to see it. Yeah. Um, but you, the the Broncos homer in you. Yeah. Definitely yeah. loves to see that. My hate to you, my, my you hate to see it for tonight, Sarah, uh, is Ryan Tannehill related, man. 12 for 16 the other night. That's a 75% completion percentage for 113 yards. Two tutties and no turnovers, man. You hate to see it for Marcus Mariota. They might have brought in your replacement. Now, Marcus Mariota has been kind of on a downtick um, and definitely, uh, you know, injury prone as of late. So we've got a situation where we're headed into the NFL season uh, in a couple of weeks. And, you know, I don't think it's outlandish to say by week four or five, Ryan Tannehill might have full reins on this starting quarterback position. Look, Ryan Ryan Tannehill is not a terrible quarterback. He is very – if there ever was a Mendoza line, for those of you who – I mean, if you don't know the Mendoza line, it's 200 in baseball, right? That's borderline between Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just slightly above – um, you know, not terrible, and below 200 is awful, right? Um, right? The Mendoza line, if you will, in the NFL for quarterback play is what I would call the Red Rocket line, right? It's the Andy Dalton line. Are you better or are you worse than Andy Dalton? And I think Ryan Tannehill fits very firmly um, there right around the Andy Dalton line. He's, I mean, not much better, and he's not much worse than Andy Dalton. If you surround him with a, re- a relatively good roster, which he never had in Miami, I think you've got a fairly decent uh, football team there. And I think the Tennessee Titans do have a solid roster. Their only problem over the last couple of seasons has been the fact that going into Sundays, they just don't know if uh, Marcus Mariota is going to be there to start. Played a couple games last season with the – you want to talk about Mendoza line. How about some Blaine Gabbard? Uh, You know, he started a few games for Tennessee in the last couple of seasons. Uh, The big giant, Ryan Mallett, started a football game last season for the Tennessee Titans. So it's been a carousel of quarterbacks. uh, And and, and Ryan Tannehill, not a one that's been prone to stay healthy either. Um, But for me, man, last night's or last week's performance from Ryan Tannehill just kind of cemented the fact for me that uh, I think there's going to come a time and point this season when Tennessee Titans fans, the very few of them, uh, we'll be calling for Ryan Tannehill to maybe start uh, some football games. So you hate to see it for Marcus Mariota. Interesting. So that's my you hate to see it. Sarah, 
What's up? Yeah, no, that's interesting. I uh, as you were talking about that, it it kind of reminded me. Did have the Tennessee Titans had all of the worst quarterbacks from the 2011 draft class at this point? I don't know if if Christian I mean, Ponder has been there, but uh, yeah, I was about to say. What about uh, Jake Locker? You know, Jake Locker started there. He was drafted. That's right. There, so he yeah. was drafted yeah, there. They, they have Gabbert. Now they have yeah. Tannehill. I mean, or was Tannehill 2012? Now I'm getting things mixed up, man. Come on. Gosh, I think he was 2012. I mean, either way, we're, we're we're sitting here talking about a bucket of average. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Yeah, man. Oh man, that's great. That's great stuff. Set, that's high quality stuff. For the night yeah, show. absolutely. So if you enjoy hot takes about the absolute worst paint job since uh, Gaylord Fokker painted Jinx's tail in Meet the Parents, uh, if you enjoy takes on uh, <laughs> if you enjoy takes on how Ryan Tannehill is going to defeat Marcus Mariota for the epic Titans QB battle. If you enjoy all of that, we would really appreciate it if you would, you know, hop onto your iTunes, take the take the ten seconds or whatever it takes to hop into the iTunes review section, write a review, hit us up with some stars, however many it is. Hopefully, it's closer to five than one or zero. Uh, but we would really appreciate that because you know, if you rate us, it helps us. Uh, it helps us get placement in in the podcasting world, and of course, there's a podcast for everything nowadays, right? There's there's so many podcasts out there. Podcasting it's kind of like the new uh, new age magazines, you know. I'm a, and Brooks knows I'm a big magazines guy because I get them every year. But uh, if you're not into magazines, you might be into the NFL Mox podcast, especially if you're listening to us up to this point. So, Brooks, go ahead and put this at the top of the show so people know that if they don't read magazines, they can listen to the NFL Mox podcast. But we appreciate you all. Thank you for listening. Uh, say a prayer for Jinxie Cat and uh, the real one, not the fake one. Um, and uh, join us for the next show. We're going to... We're going to be back at it on Thursday. You know, the Broncos don't play, so there's no interference in that way. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. And thank you all for listening once more. Yeah, there may be a, a, a crap ton of podcasts in this world, but I guarantee you there's very few podcasts. Maybe, matter of fact, there's only one podcast that will combine the NFL daily news, uh, a little bit of Sergi Baca age trivia, and odd, weird Georgia high school football facts, including mm-hmm. Cam Newton and mm-hmm. Pac-Man Jones. There it is. That is our show for the night. We appreciate you guys for listening, as Sarah said. We will see you Thursday night. Sarah, can't wait to talk to you, buddy. We'll see you. Same. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.